Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. This passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is written to the church, about the church, and about people that are seemingly in the church and part of the church. And I told you that a couple weeks ago, but I want us to stand this morning as we honor God's Word. It is worthy of honor. I hope you have a copy of God's Word in your hand. I hope you don't just bring it on Sundays. I hope it is opened up throughout the week because without really building up to this church, we are living in the last days. And once we understand the definition of last days according to Second Timothy, we understand that we're not talking about date setting or that Jesus is coming next week. We understand that he could come back anytime, but we understand biblically that we are living in the last days. The days from the death, birth, a birth, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the church age until he returns, that's the last days. And we're living in those days. And um, if he comes back tomorrow, well, we're, we're one day closer. If he comes back in 10 years, we're one day closer. And if he spares us 10 years from now, we're 10 years closer. He is going to return, and we are living in the last days. And we need to wake up and look around us and be reminded that God's Word is true and that what we are seeing is evidence of God's truth and that we are closer than we ever have been before. So let's read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 again, but I want to finish and go through verse 9 today. Paul says to young Timothy while Paul is in prison, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then he gives this litany of characteristics of people who are lovers of their own selves. Selfish, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, liars, false accusers, incontinent, unable to control not only their bladder but their behavior, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Oh my goodness, if there's a message that could be preached on one phrase from this passage, it's that we're living in a day where there are despisers of those who are good. We've never, I've never lived in a day where if you're good and try to do what's right, you get slammed so much. But yet we parade and we celebrate those who are trying to do harm. We have months, we have days, we have parades, we have events to celebrate sinners and those who are trying to do harm to our country, to the homes, to families, to things of God. But yet those who try to do what's right are hated and despised. They'll be traitors, they'll be heady, oh that's important, be a lot of smart people. I haven't met many, but there are a lot to claim to be. High-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but not but denying the power thereof. That's where I stopped two Sundays ago. Let's pick up on what he says about those people and about the true church. From such, turn away. For of this sort, and then he gives another example, and if you read that quickly, especially in the King James, you go, what just happened? For this sort of day, he gives an example of those who creep into houses. It sounds like a, a peeping Tom, but that's not really what he's saying. And he leads captive silly women laden with sins. In other words, these types of people who are heady, high-minded, fake Christians, they take advantage of those who are bound in their sins, and they exploit them. These types of people are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And then he gives an example of Jonathan Jambres. Without, they withstood Moses. They were the ones who were against Moses. We'll look, talk about that in a second. 
Here's the example. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. These are signs of the last days. These are characteristics of people of the last days. Not people in the world who are lost on their way to hell and know it, but people who are in the church claiming to be saved but are lost. This is a sign of the last days. But they shall proceed no further, he says. For their folly shall be made known manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. No doubt there are hundreds of people in this room today who believe your word is absolute truth. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be disappointed as we read your word. We're going to be cut often when we read and study your word, but today, may we receive it as absolute truth. May we learn from it. May Christians see the need to do what you've told us to do. And once again, if there's a person in this church, maybe dressed like they're headed to church, maybe looking like they're a church-going person on the outside, but inwardly they know they've never been born again, May they take advantage of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your free gift of salvation today, and truly be born again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Lessons for the last days. Very quickly, a couple weeks ago, we introduced this chapter and this passage and talked about the reality that Paul is in prison for the last time, he is going to die. Guilty of being a Christian. And he writes this letter to Timothy, a young pastor, a pastor of a church. And he gives a very clear indication that we are living, that Paul, that, Paul, that Timothy, that the church then is living in the last days, and that Central Baptist Church is living in the last days. And we will be a part of the last days until the last days come to a conclusion and Jesus returns. And there's a lot. When we think about apologetics, we think about eschatology, and, and don't get me wrong, I've had multiple conversations with people. There are people in this church who that's their thing, and that's fine. Uh, that's not my thing. Eschatology is not my thing. Uh, do I like it? Yeah. Do I listen to it? Yeah. I told someone recently, the more I listen to some of these people, the crazier I get. Because I'm just enough conspiracy theory by nature. It's like in my DNA to think somebody's up to something all the time. So when I'm listening to somebody telling me somebody's up to something all the time, I'm, I'm ready to go. I might come home and clean up my guns and get my ammunition alphabetized. I'm ready. I start storing gasoline and corn and stuff I don't eat just in case. I came home, we were, went on a short trip uh, for baseball a few weeks ago, and I listened to something they sent me, and um, then the whole way home, I'm like, what's going on? Where are all the trucks on the highway? The trucks aren't out here. There's no food. And by the way, just to throw that out there, there's a lot less trucks on the highway today than there used to be. Just throwing that out there. So I came home, I was like, hey, next time you go to Sam's Club, you better buy those big things of corn. <laughs> better buy all you can. So I still, this is just, this is not part of my notes, but we have one of those like 26 pound containers of corn and beans in our cabinet now that I bought like the day after Joe Biden became president. <laughs> all right, she's acknowledging, usually she looks at me like, ah. but now she's like, yeah, it's still up there. But one day, one day. But what I believe the church is missing, and I, and I want to be serious about this, what I believe the church is missing, it's all right to understand, to want to know eschatology and to, to be intrigued by it when it's rightly appropriated in our Christian walk. I believe that's important. But what I believe the church is missing is that one of the telltale signs of the last days is apostasy. I'm going to make this word up phonyism, 
false teachers, false preachers, false believers in church pews Sunday after Sunday. That is an apologetic, that is an eschatological truth that we are living in the last days. And we understand in 2 Timothy 3 that that and other things will get worse and worse as we get closer to the return of Christ. Now, it's been famously or infamously said that Billy Graham said one of the greatest uh, places to reach out to lost people is on the, the rolls of Baptist churches in America. He said that a few weeks ago, a while back. Today, it's worse than it's ever been. And that's not from a pastor, preacher up there, man, saying much lost people in churches. I think the best, per, best place for a lost person ought to be in a Bible-preaching church. Now, they shouldn't be a deacon. They shouldn't be a Sunday school teacher. They shouldn't be voting on matters that matter. Well, how do you know? We're going to get there. I'm glad you asked. That sign of the time, so to speak, is evident in Paul's writing to Timothy. He starts to talk about what's now known as apostasy even. And um, we'll get there where people have claimed and claimed and claimed and claimed, but then all of a sudden they're not anymore. Um, Pastor Justin could speak to this probably more poignantly than I could because he's young and gets into this, but there's a lot of young um, Christians who are now becoming, is it deconstructionist? That just sounds unhealthy, doesn't it? To where they've been Christians, but now they're not Christians and they're deconstructing their faith. So it's, I guess it's some fancy way to say I've never been saved. But it's a, here, here you can talk to them later when they come to you and, and correct my mistakes. But what I'm seeing is it's, it's a living out of 2 Timothy 3. High-minded, heady, more and more knowledge, but never coming to the truth. And so they, they philosophically, in an educated, scholastic way, tell you why they're no longer a Christian. Well, here's the biblical response. You never were. You never were. This whole idea of apostasy, of I'm falling away from something I always believed in. Well, you may have believed in it, you may have even practiced it, but you never were it. And that's happening in the church today. More and more, and for most of us who consider ourselves mature and aged, we look at that and say, how, the Greek word, how stupid is that? That you have now deconstructed your faith. Like that God's not going to hold you as accountable for being lost because you, you were smart about it. And that's the, the age that God talks about through Timothy, through his, to, through Paul's letter to Timothy, about this whole idea of falling away. So he talks about the realities of the last days, and that's where we were at three Sundays ago, where he declares, he says, this no, it is certain that we are living in the last days, this church age from the uh, resurrection, ascension of Jesus until the return. And he declares, this no, that in the last days. And then he describes it. He says this will be perilous times. I told you a few weeks ago that this is the word for dangerous, fierce. Let me throw out something real preachy. The most dangerous place for a lost person to be, although I just said I'd rather you be at church than at the bar, but the most dangerous place for a professing yet false believer to be is in the church trying to fool everybody into thinking you're going with them to heaven. It's one of the safest places many times. Because if I go Sunday after Sunday, and if I get a bonus point by going to Sunday school once a month, people will just assume that I am one. And I can be safe in that environment. But here's the reality. If you're in church and the Word of God is being preached, the Word of God is being read, and the Holy Spirit is functioning as He is, you're uncomfortable as a non-believer. 
Even if you have on the nicest suit and you've had the best attendance and you give the most money, most money to the offering, you are uncomfortable because you know, you and you alone know that you're not born again and that you're living a lie. Now, I think there's some indication in Scripture later that there are people who are deceived, deceived themselves, they're deceived by Satan, and unfortunately, I think sometimes in today's age, they're being deceived by preachers to believe they are something that they're not. And that's a different conversation that may be touched on later. So he gives this, here's what I was going to say. This word perilous means dangerous. And there's no more dangerous place to be than in church faking like you're a Christian. I used to hear this, used to hear a lot of things from old preachers and think, wish they wouldn't say that. Sounds bad. And then I think, I think now would be a good time to say that. We used to hear people say, you're one heartbeat from hell. Now, to be positive, you're also one heartbeat from present with the Lord, potentially. Not the same person, by the way, just to clear. If you're a born-again Christian and you know it, he's Lord of your life, and you have peace in your heart knowing that, then you're one heartbeat away from, absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. And that's pretty encouraging. But if you don't have that assurance... You're one heartbeat away from the Lord, away from his presence forever in what Jesus called a place called hell, in torment, physical, emotional, mental, for eternity. That's a dangerous place to be for a faking Christian. One heartbeat away. Charlene, can I use you as an example real quick? I'm texting back and forth while we were on vacation with Brian and Charlene, I think with Brian. He made the comment now, a couple weeks ago, nobody knew anything was wrong with Charlene other than what's normally wrong with Charlene, right? <laughs> and basically, in a matter of minutes, days, she's in the worst pain she's ever been in in her life, to her own words, and finds out she has a very serious condition that if she wouldn't have had, and correct me or after with somebody else, if she wouldn't have had the pain she has to indicate that something was wrong, she could have died instantly, basically. 24 hours before, never knew she was sick. But has something that has to be dealt with the rest of her life. That's one heartbeat away from eternity. And for her sake and her mind and her heart, she's absolutely certain that she's born again. So she had hope. But every one of us in this room are one pain, one doctor's diagnosis, one heartbeat without a diagnosis from eternity. It's a dangerous position to be in. And in the last days, perilous, dangerous times will come. Now, I know it's easy, and I would much rather get up and preach about Russia and China and all the communists and everybody that hates America and our incompetent president and all the leaders that don't know what they're doing. I'd love for that to be the signs of the last days. But the sign of the last days in 2 Timothy 3 is a bunch of phonies in the church. Now, Take a different angle. It behooves every pastor, and this is not in my notes. I don't need an amen, but I hope you agree with me. It behooves every pastor and every leader in the church in the 21st century, in 2022, to do their dead level best to ensure that only born-again Christians are joining the church and being involved in leadership in the church. Why? The easier you make it for every phony to get in, the more phonies you're going to have in. That's dangerous to the church. It's dangerous to the local church. It's dangerous to the administrative purposes of the church. But it's more dangerous to some lost person who got a position of honor and leadership. And now they add that to their badge of, I'm potentially better than you now because I'm lost, but I'm a leader. And we want to do everything we can. We need to do every church, every pastor that cares about their people, cares about their church, cares about the sanctity of the church and the truth, needs to do everything they can to keep the phonies out. Not of the door, but out of leadership. 
Why? It's perilous. It's dangerous times. I read a quote. Don't know who it came from. If I did, I'd say who it was. And if I was dishonest, I'd say it was mine because it sounds good, but it's not. These perilous times do not speak of the persecution from without, but from the corruption within. But the church doesn't get corrupt overnight. It's a process. It's a process that becomes a process of carelessness and apathy among leadership in the church. Now, it's nowhere in. This is why it takes longer for me to get things out. But one of the reasons this is becoming an epidemic in the American church today. When we have mega churches, just, I'm not going to call names today. I made a determination this week, and yesterday, I'm not going to call names of churches or pastors. Okay? I'm not going to do it. I could, and there are a few written in my notes. I'm not going to do it. But when we have mega churches for the sake of having mega churches, we have crowds for the sake of having crowds. And we say we're no longer going to have membership. You open the doors to everything under the sun coming into your church. By the way, let me, let me, I need to clarify. If there are any Pharisees in the house, I have to clarify. I don't care who walks in the doors of this church. I want them here. Now, some of you are going, your mind's going, well, what if they got a backpack? Well, we've got a team for that, all right? And we put a lot of trust in that, that they're going to take care of it before it gets to me. I don't care what the person's problem is. I don't care their color, their agenda. Don't care. Everybody should be welcome in this church. Not everybody's welcome to join the church. Now, the first amen was loud. The second one was a little, like, I'll use the youth camp word, a little sus. So everybody ought to be welcome in the church, but not everybody should be welcome to join the church. This is God's church. He's the shepherd. I'm just the lowly under-shepherd. But I got the burden's on me to lead this church and lead the leadership of this church to not allow lost people to be a member and to get involved. Church is special. I don't feel like everybody agrees with that. That's not good. Maybe we'll. I think you are. You're just, you're just watching the time. I know. So we understand the reality, we understand the revelations, the lives of selfishness, and last week we ended, two weeks ago, we ended on this idea of the characteristics of selfishness permeating our culture. And then he really starts to hone in and narrow down on lips of godliness, those phonies, those fakes. He says, having a, in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So he gives these characteristics of people who are selfish, and, um, and we can't not look around and see that we're not just overcome with that, not just in America, but in culture in general today. It's all about me, and we see that as a sign of the time. But once again, contextually, in church, oh, that's where it gets preachy. And then you, people don't amen, except the, anyway. Selfishness in the church? <gasps> I thought he was talking about lost people. He is. Because fake Christians who are selfish and all about me might just be lost. See, that's not fun. I knew today wouldn't be fun, but I, they're not going to do that. I, I I got all kind of examples running through my head, but it would hurt feelings, so I'm not going to do it. But a person who is born again and loves their church, and loves the people of the church, not just specific names, but loves people in the church, they don't come in saying, bless God, fill in the blank. I'm trying to make this very generic. They don't come in and cross and put their feet up and say, I can't believe they do it that way now. 
a wrong turn without hitting my signal. I'm sorry. <laughs> so a sign of the last days is selfishness in the church. Now, selfishness is a quick, easy word, but he goes into a lot of details about what those people look like. Covetous, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents with natural affection, truth breakers, incontinent. In the church. Those aren't Christians. Those are fakes. That's what he says, and that's a sign of the times. And then he goes more specifically. They have lips of godliness. They, they talk the talk. They say the right things. They amen at the right times. He says they have a form of godliness. This word form here is a word for like a shape, like we learn in elementary school. It's just a shape. It's a circle, but there's nothing in it. It's a square, but there's nothing in it. We got rectangles, we got pyramid, not pyramid, we got triangles, we got squares, we got circles, but that's all we've got, and they've got nothing inside. They have a form, but they're hollow. They look like they belong, but they don't, because there's nothing inside. He talks about hypocrisy in the church. They claim to be, but they are not. They maybe brag about their denomination or who they're a part of or the organization they're a part of. But all they are is, and here's where we kind of started, they're name only. They're nominal. And one of the pandemics in the church today is nominal Christianity. Are you a Christian? Yep. What kind? You hear people say those ignorant statements? Don't say that, please. Don't, don't do that and tell them you're from our church. If they, if they say, what kind of Christian are you, say a good one, okay? Um, don't say I'm a Baptist Christian, please. Don't do that. Uh, it was an ignorant question, then you, you help them out with an ignorant response. So don't do that, please. Um, ignorance is not a bad word. It's just a lack of knowledge. So we're, just, we're getting smarter with this. You say, I'm a, I'm a Bible Christian or I'm a born-again Christian. How about that? That's a good answer. I like born-again more and more the older I get. What kind of religion are you? Baptist? Ugh, I don't, please don't say that. I get worried about you. Christian. They have a form of godliness. They, they're Baptist. They're Methodist. They're Presbyterian. They're whatever, but... They deny the power thereof, the power of the God that they're saying they're godly like. And Jesus talked about these, talked to these scribes and Pharisees. He called them a hypocrite in Matthew 23. He said, you make clean the outside of the cup, the form, or the platter, the plate, the form, but inside or on the top of the platter, it's full of extortion and excess. Clean the inside so that the outside may be clean also. And so he talks about lips of God. Here's the, here's the message. Ready? What is our response? We looked at the realities. We looked at revelations of the last days. What's the believer's response? I'm going to make this quick because this is going to upset some people. I'm, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't come today to upset people. This is not easy. Especially in the 21st century. Especially in 2022, with the changes that are throughout the church as a whole. In Baptist world, we don't like to say change. We might as well put that up there with some of the worst cuss words you could say. And I understand that. I'm a creature of habit. I like chocolate ice cream. The farthest out I'll get is butter pecan. After that, it's too liberal for me. So I'm, I'm that way. I'm like some of y'all. Well, we don't change for the sake of changing, but sometimes we need to change some things. Nominal Christianity has become possible because of the lack of seriousness in Christianity today. I thought about this as a little note, a little blurb in my notes. The early church Christians, they didn't have the luxury of being a nominal Christian. This Paul writing this letter is in jail and is going to be executed for being a Christian. 
Who in their right mind would say, nominally, I'm a Christian, kill me? No, no. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest apologetics for the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, is that one by one, disciples and early church fathers went to a burning stake, boiling in oil and some of the most gross things you can imagine, and all they had to do was say, I'm not a Christian, and got out of it. And today, today in parts of the world that we never go to and don't want to go to, people are still dying for being a Christian. They don't have the luxury of being a nominal Christian. First century, they didn't have the luxury of just hanging out with Jesus saying, I'm a Christian. They were made known. And this is exactly what happens. We see that. So the believer's response is this. Here's where it's going to be not fun. Everybody with me? He talks about these people. He labels these people. And then he says in verse 5, the last few words, from such turn away. Now, I wish, I wish I could come in today and make everybody feel good about what this means. But it means what it says it means. Turn away. From such, from such. Who's the such? That list of people and those characteristics who are claiming to be something they're not. Turn away from them. The word, some of your versions may say this, avoid them. So what we see in this idea of separation is we see intentional separation. Now, when I say separation, and if you Google separation, even in, if you go read and try to follow some of the, the biblical ideas of separation, you're going to see different degrees and levels and types of separation. The separation I'm talking about, and by the way, there is biblical doctrine of separation, I've got verses, I've got a page uh, on my laptop right now with about, feels like 200 verses, and why we should be separate, why we should be different, mainly because the holiness of God, maybe mainly because we are different than the world now. So we, we don't have time to argue that, and I don't have time to debate or to try to convince you that we're to be separated from the world. Some of you, I, I felt it, so I felt some of you scholars. Well, he's not talking about being separated from the world. And you're right. You were paying attention. He's talking about separating yourself from the phonies in the church. Now, time out, quick time out, 30 seconds. I can help you with that. As your pastor and with a pastoral staff and with deacons, we can help you with that. How do we do that? I already go back. We guard who becomes members of the church. We can help you separate. You don't have to separate yourself from them. We can keep them from being members. Wait, that sounds terrible. I'm sorry you feel that way. But we don't want wolves with the sheep. That never turns out good. I don't want a wolf in my deacon's meeting tomorrow night at 7. And if we find out a wolf's in there, we're going to politely escort him out of the gate. And if he doesn't leave peacefully, we're going to bring the wolf in front of the church and let everybody escort him out. Did you make that up? No. God did. It happens the same way within the flock. You would really do that? They didn't leave nicely. Yeah. Why? It's about the health of the flock. It's about the health of the church. We don't want somebody in here tearing you apart and tearing the church apart. God didn't either. It's not just about me. He's mean. He's a mean old preacher. Doesn't like people. No. I don't like people messing up God's church. Our response should be to turn away, to separate from them, to avoid them. That is an active terminology. I've got verses here. I'm going to skip right through. All the verse I need is the text verse. From such, turn away. Avoid them. My dad, my stepdad, John Hunter, I wouldn't call him a biblical philosopher nor theologian, but he said a lot of things that were very biblically accurate and theologically sound. Like this, if you lay down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas. (laughs) 
got that straight from God and he didn't know it. He never used this one, but I use it often. I say it around my kids, and they look at me like, what's that? I say, iron sharpens iron. That's a a Bible verse. It's in Proverbs. Why scripture? Why? You become who you hang around with. Now all the parents are on board now. That's right, brother. Tell them about it. They come home acting like they're kids. There's a lot of biblical truth in that in the church. If you don't avoid them, you'll start acting like them. Now, I can dig deeper, and I've got verses of Scripture where this actually happened. And actually, Peter talks about it in First. I'm glad I had that there. Man, I'm glad I prepared. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring them upon, bring upon themselves swift destruction. That doesn't sound good. People creeping in, causing problems. If they come in and you hang out with them, you're going to become a problem. So we are to be intentionally separate from them. From such, turn away. Here's the theological, here's the, here's the saints in the room. Here's what you've thought already. Well, what about Jesus. Jesus hung out with everybody. See how quiet it got? I hit somebody. What about Jesus? Good answer. Here's my my response. Number one, you're not Jesus. That's actually in my notes. I wrote that down. I was proud when I said that. Number two, let's talk about context. And and I'm going to make this simple. Jesus hung out with sinners who knew they were sinners and acted like sinners. The people that were sinners that didn't act like sinners and acted like they were better than everybody else. Jesus had the strongest, most cutting words to. Now, that's the truth. We're talking about context. We're not making up stuff here. When Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus, he knew Zacchaeus was a crook, and Zacchaeus did too. And there was a reason he hung out with Zacchaeus, to hopefully, I guess he probably knew, he didn't hope it would happen, Zacchaeus would get right and get saved and pay people back and do good. And it happened. But when he hung out with the Pharisees, by the way, you don't see Jesus hanging out with the Pharisees. I'm just going to throw that out there. Hey, let's go meet tonight at 6 for dinner, you Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites, let's go hang out. No, the Pharisees only showed, this is, this is extra. This is good. The Pharisees only showed up when he showed up. That ought to tell us something. The problem showed up when the solution was there. And they would show up and try to counter what he's doing. And he would tell them like it was. He was kind and sweet and loving little shepherd Jesus to the people who knew they were lost. But to those who knew better, he had his strongest words. You whitewashed tombs. You shined up metallic caskets. You look good on the outside, but inside you stink like dead men's bones. You hypocrites, You liars, you shut up the doors to heaven so that no one else can get in. And by the way, you're not going yourself. That's what he said to church folks acting like they're Christians. That's what he said. We as believers are to intentionally avoid those who are phonies, false preachers, false teachers, false professors. That's going to, I said I wasn't going to name names, and I'm going to stay true. How do I do this? <laughs> My son and his friends will appreciate this analogy that just came up with. If a man's driving an old van with a sliding door on the side, he doesn't just say, kids, hop in the van, I'm going to kidnap you. Because what kid would say, oh, let's do that. What he does is he opens the van door and he says, kids, I've got some candy and a whole bunch of puppies in here to pet. 
Hop on in. Y'all didn't appreciate that. That got serious quick. Right? Kids, don't go to puppy vans. Or some of you parents need to talk to your kids about that. Y'all look confused. Really? That happened? Every time we pull up beside a van, my, my son's like, hey, we got to move somewhere else. We can't move somewhere else. <laughs> like, we don't go to Concord Mills. Not with him. Man, he getting out. That ain't happening. Okay? What, what does that have to do with what he's talking about? We're to avoid... This is, this is, I really do love everybody in here, even if I don't know you. And even if you don't love me, I really do. As a pastor, I want the best for you. I'm serious what I'm about to say. And this is serious business. A false preacher will not just come out and tell you, I'm a false preacher trying to lead you to a path of destruction. He will fill you with the little truths and a little good, but you got to take the whole kit and caboodle. Now, when I go to a buffet, I don't eat the whole thing. I'm kind of picky. But we can't do that with our religion. We can't do that with our Christianity. We can't do that with our leaders, with our preachers, with our teachers, when it comes to biblical truth. We can do that with opinions all day. Well, that's not my opinion. That's good because that's mine. We can be that way. There are people in here that disagree theologically with some things, and we can get along. I said it two weeks ago, there's some ah, pre, post, mid, and all kind of in between. And we can, we can get along. We ought to be able to get along. As long as we believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and how salvation works. We ought to be able to get along. But if you disagree with death, death burial, resurrection, and the gospel, we can't get along. And if, and if we're teaching something that's fake, that's a, um, see, see how, some of you got to turn him off. Who? I'm not going to do it. I'm not falling for that. <laughs> some of you got to turn her off. And there's a couple of hers I'm thinking about right now, but I'm not going to say it. Why? Because it's a trap. Now, do I think those people want to trap? No, I don't think most of them do. Do they want your money? Yep. Jets aren't free and gas is high. Now, just being honest about it. But we have to be careful that we don't buy into the, hey, there's some puppies in there. I love puppies. Still don't like that one? Okay. Because we'll get trapped into a false gospel. Why is there deconstruction? Why are there people falling away? Why is there apostasy? I believe it's because people thought they liked something and they found out they didn't. That's a real simple, dumbed-down elementary way of saying they, were, they just decided they didn't like it anymore. We've got we to gotta intentionally separate. But then he goes on, and it's in the text, and he says there's not only intentional separation, there's eventual separation. He gives the example of two guys that aren't named in Exodus, but they're later named in Paul's Gospels, Paul's letters. Jambres and Jonas. In Exodus chapter 7 through 9, there's a, there's a reason why Paul uses them, because the context is there. He's talking about false preachers, false believers, false teachers. Phony religion is what he's talking about. Now, if you were to take your King James Version and go to Exodus chapter 7, verse 9, you'll see Jonathan Jambres. You won't see them mentioned there, but history says that that was who they are. And then the actual, the New Testament calls them Jonathan Jambres. It's just all sway to that. Okay, so he gives them as an example because when Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh, God says, do this miracle and... Herod's heart, uh, Herod, Pharaoh's heart will be hardened or whatever, and you do the miracle. They go in, and they drop Aaron's rod, and it turns into a snake. And these two magicians drop their rods, and they turn into snakes. That's there. The word that's used there every time this happens, at least in the King James, is that um, the magicians who basically, the word is used, occult. It's a false religion. That's what he said. The word occult is actually used there in the authorized version. Drop down your rod, and it turns into a snake. They do it. What's the next thing? Uh, I can't remember. Blood, blood into the water. Is that what happens? Hey, hey, the Nile's going to turn into water, and it happens. Frogs everywhere. 
Oh, by the way, the two magicians, they do it in blood. Water turns to blood. Frogs everywhere. That's always odd to me. But frogs are everywhere, and they don't do great with produce. And so the magicians do it. But then the fourth miracle is interesting. Now, if you have King James, it says lice. If you have another version, New King James actually says lice, but then you look at the study, it says gnats, G-N-A-T-S. I don't know which is worse. Never had lice, but I have had gnats. If you grow up in South Carolina, we, we get camping this week. I mean, there's bugs, there's ants, and I'm not going to call any names, but some people throw out stuff if an ant touches it. I grew up in South Carolina. We ate more bugs and gnats and ants than we did food, so it's just protein. Oh, I had an ant on it. Ah! Eat it. So I've had the gnats. I've eaten a lot of gnats. But what's interesting about this miracle is this. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Gnats and lice, or, either or, I wasn't there. I haven't read any manuscripts or letters from people that were there, so is everybody all right with it? It's either or. Everybody all right with you don't want either. The miracle was that the dust turned into lice. It wasn't like there was so much I'm going to say the lice. There was so much lice, it was like dust. No. The miracle was the dust turned into lice. That's a lot of lice. Or a lot of gnats. The occult, the false believers, Pharaoh looked at them, they couldn't do it. It's in the scriptures, Exodus 7 through 9. And here's what they say. They, they respond to Pharaoh with, oh, that was a flop. We couldn't do that. And their response to him was, it's the finger of God. That's what he says. That's what these two magicians say who were trying to, and there's a whole lot of preaching here. They were duplicating what God does. When a false teacher, a false preacher, a false believer will try to duplicate what God does. When they, when they change the key with the choir, they might go, amen, brother, that's a good one. I like that one. Right? One day, there's going to be someone who tries to duplicate what God has done, and he's going to fool a lot of people. And we'll backtrack from there for a while. They say, we can't do it, Pharaoh, because only God can do that. What could only God do? See, they could do some magic tricks and make a rod look like a snake or blood in the water or frogs everywhere, but they couldn't recreate something. Only God. And so they acknowledged, only God can do that, Pharaoh. How does that apply to 2 Timothy 3? He uses them as an example of those who will eventually be separated. See, we are to actively, intentionally separate from phony, fakeness. One day, Paul tells Timothy, just like these two magicians practicing the occult, practicing a false religion. Listen, he, King James, he uses the word reprobate. He calls them a reprobate. Most people get excited about reprobate in the Baptist church because in Romans, reprobate. And like, bless God, they're reprobate. Reprobate means this, to be tested and found phony. That's what the word reprobate means here. He calls them reprobates. These two magicians who were trying to duplicate what God did, but couldn't duplicate what only God can do, they got found out. This is, this is a little spiritual timeout. Only God can regenerate a person's heart and make them a new creation. And there's a message there. You may be here today, you may have been playing this game for 20, 30, 40 years. But only God can regenerate your heart. Only God can make you a new creation. You can try. You have tried. You can play church. You can go to Sunday school. You can testify. You can, you can give. You can do all that. But only God can make you born again. Eventually, there will be an acknowledgement of separation. And then eternally, there will be. This is contextual to the T. 
We as Christians are to intentionally separate. Those who are phony will eventually be separated. And those false teachers, false preachers, false professors. Let me, let me stop here because I don't want to go there yet. If you're in the position where you can eventually be found out, by the way, it's happened. It's happened in our lifetime with false teachers, false preachers, false believers. We see them. We see it in church. We see it as leaders in church. You see it. We just don't want to, we don't want to talk about it because it sounds mean. But if somebody's been a member of this church for 20 years and they take off and we can't find them with the FBI and they're going to Bedside Baptist, that's a sign that they've never been born again. Now, you can finagle that however you want to to be soft and cozy, but if somebody drops out of church, I didn't say they went to the church next door. And Bedside Baptist was a joke. That means they're asleep. Some of you thought, where's that at? I've been looking for a new one. No. <laughs> They're, they're out of church. They're gone. They're like, man, we, and we go, through, we go through the ritual, the church ritual of, man, they fail out of church. Something's just wrong. Something, something's eating at them. Or somebody hurt their feelings. Or they didn't like the new this or the new that. Or they don't like that. There's a church on every flipping street corner in Kannapolis. Find one and get in there. Do you get upset when people leave your church? Absolutely. I get more upset when they leave and they don't go anywhere. I've, I've had conversations. Well, such and such went over to such and such church. I know. I know. Did you get a letter? Nope. What I said, good? No, no. That's a different story. Here's the deal. And I have said this publicly. I'll say it again right here. If somebody leaves this church and goes to another church and gets involved and they're growing in grace and knowledge, good for them. I'm serious. Every church is not for every person. Every church is taking on personalities, different ministries, different, I understand that. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who's been in church forever, grew up in church, their parents were preachers, and, blah, 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 and now you can't find them anywhere God's doing work. There's a serious problem there, and they're being found out. We're just too nice to call them out. That's the problem. But here's the deal. If you're in that eventual state of separation, you're in a good place. Whoa, whoa, not not actively, but there's time. There's a chance. There's an opportunity. Because that third one that I'm looking at in bold right there that says eternal separation, because after that happens, there is no other chance. And in Matthew, Jesus, I still say it to this day, and every time I read it, it, it captivates my mind, and it's almost incomprehensible. But it's the truth. Because although today we should be intentionally separating ourselves from false believers, teachers, preachers, the reality is while we're still here and breathing, people will eventually be found out. For that person that's eventually found out, here's how it may happen. I've seen it in my lifetime. There, there are a few people in this church that have this testimony. But I, was, I said I was saved for 20 years. I was in church, blah, 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 blah. And then I realized one day I had never made Jesus Lord of my life. There's been deacons that got saved. There's been, not in this church that I know of. There's been, there, I hope they already are. But there's been deacons in churches that have been saved. There's been preachers in churches that have been saved. There's been gospel singers in churches that have been saved. There's been people that have been in Sunday school with perfect attendance badges that have been saved. Because they came to the place where they realized they were found out. And if anybody's going to find me out, you know who I want it to be? I want it to be the Holy Spirit of God convicting me to find me out that you're not who you have been saying you are, and you know it, and I know it. Let's fix it. That's the best way to be found out. And that can happen, so there's time. But the last separation that Jesus talks about in Matthew is, is the, it's a nightmare. Because you see people standing before the Lord saying, we went to church. We prayed. We, I spoke at Brotherhood one Saturday. I led a woman's Bible study. I preached on a Sunday night. I prayed and I did a miracle. 
I did this, this, and this, and this. I did all the things you would expect a church-going believer to do. And Jesus says, Jesus the authority says, Jesus the way the truth says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never mine. I was never yours. You faked your way through church. You faked your way through life. But now the truth is here to pronounce. I never knew you. And according to the word of God that I've read and studied, after that, there's no chance. Matter of fact, Jesus gives multiple examples of the fruit and the vines and, the, and who's cast into fire. If you cast a branch into fire and it burns up, there's no chance to become a fruitful branch again. Paul tells Timothy in the last days, before I return, the church will be evidence of the last days. I would, there's no way that I could live it out in the future and then go back. I would hate to know. As a pastor, as a human, as a Christian, I would hate to know that someone sat through 50 minutes of me running my mouth, reading scripture, quoting scripture, telling you the truth, and leave a place like this not knowing for certain that you're born again. One day, whether here or in the face of God, one day, everyone will be made known and manifest who they are and who they are not. God wants us to know for sure, for certain. Would you stand with me? I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And I say this often. You need to do business with God, you do it. If you need to come to an altar, our altars are open. If you need to pray where you're at, pray. If you want to speak to a pastor, I'm here. Barry's here. Justin's there. We're, we'd be glad to talk to you. When I think about that eventual separation, to where one day people will be found out before the eternal? Here's, here's my question in my mind. Will we, whether it's the young ones in here, or some of us older ones, will we live in an America, in a world, where we get to the place to where we have to make a public pronouncement? Will we get to the place to where we are made known to the world where it's manifest because of decisions we have to make now don't lose me I think we've started to see that I'm not going to point out specifics but I think we've started to see some things happen in America with our government with our leadership where some people are going to have to start standing up and saying no I'm born again this is the rule of my life and I can't do that. And I think that's just the, the door creeping open and getting our toe in to where we could head. Why would we think we are immune to that when other parts of the world are there? I, would, I think about that in my own personal life. If this, this, or this were to happen, would I be able to stand and say, Nope, he's Lord of my life. I can't do that, or you're going to have to do this. I'd hate to know that that would happen in the next 10, 20 years, and I'd see people who have been a member of Central Baptist Church for most of their life be manifest that they're not born again because they didn't side with Jesus and sided with the world. 
I don't mean to get you upset, but it's going to happen. The question is only when it's going to happen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.